Hello, and welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, gentlemen, and happy Tuesday to you. Another Tuesday. Looks uh, like we made it. Another Tuesday, yes. We're still here. It's, it's hard keeping up with uh, two episodes a week. It's like we're getting, like planning out and stuff. It's almost like sometimes life gets in the it's way. Busy. It's busy. This is a recorded episode for those of you who are joining us online, uh, live on YouTube or LinkedIn. Uh, this is a recorded episode, so we're just kind of pre-recording something here. Uh, however, our main topic for today is we're going to kind of finish up our BI strategy planning from the implementation documentation from Microsoft. Uh, we've gone through the strategy overview, strategic planning, tactical planning, and now we're kind of finishing up the BI solution planning. Uh, and in doing that, we're going to go through step five, deploying, supporting, and monitoring for today. So that'd be kind of our main final topic here. Um, with that, I would uh, open it up for, before we get to our main topic, let's open it up for any kind of news items. Anyone found anything interesting, like either across the interwebs or people explaining what's going on here and how uh, people are building and working on their RBI stuff? Um, this is pertaining to our conversation last week or yesterday, however you want to put it, but Darren Godspell, um, literally just talked about the workflow of syncing Git and trying to convert it to Timdle. And, um, it was pretty interesting in terms of like, if you were to actually go through that process from an enterprise workflow. That was that Darren's blog. I didn't know how it was him. Dobbs on data. And that's him. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I must've, I, I, Looked at the article and I saw someone kind of write up how to migrate from Timzel to Tim Dole, uh, but I, I must no, have no, not, that's not the Darren name. It's not Darren's Cobbs. Okay, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I would. I think I would have recognized the name if it came across from Darren. Yeah, I saw Dawson. Oh, he must have changed it. Well, either way, it's a really good. Um, I'll put the link in here. But it just goes to like, yeah, it's really cool what it's able to do. But this is literally our our hesitation was like, this is great. However. If I'm syncing it through the service, it's Timzel. And if you know it's not automatically going to get converted to Timdol, so then I have to change a few f files. He was talking about there's an encoding you have to do in order for it to actually work on the service. So there's there's still a few unnecessary steps. They're still working out the bugs at this point. There's still some pieces that need to kind of get figured out yet. But we're we're getting. Again, I think the idea here is we're getting really, really close for it to just fully work this way moving forward. So um, I be just to make sure we give credit to the right person. This is Dobbs on data, and this is that is his blog, and he goes through and just kind of explains. Okay, I'm going to make a new work item in Azure DevOps. I'm going to cut a branch off. This is what I found was interesting in this article. Mm -hmm. He had already published the report using uh, a main branch inside his Git repo. And then what he did was he cut a branch from it, deleted some things, replaced the model.bim file with a definitions file and folder, and then put in all the Timdle yeah. stuff. So it, it was very so the reason I thought this was very interesting was he he basically manually edited the model and it worked. Like he he took out the old BIM and replaced it with the new stuff, and then it just seemed to work seamlessly which i really like this because yeah that's how it should work i should be able to switch out the code and the service should just realize and understand oh it's just different now i read it this way instead of 
I read via Timdal versus Timsel, uh, and it just works. So to your point, last time, Seth, we talked about this when you're talking about partitions and how that's going to work. Um, this may have implications on larger data models where you're focusing on loading hundreds of partitions that are very large in size, models that are bigger. This may, may create some more pain, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it'll be smart enough to read both of the formats because there's not, it's not losing any data. Interesting. True. And, and to also point out, he, he does say in bold that he hasn't done this in a production environment yet. So caution. I don't think I, don't think I would recommend. I mean, since all of this is in preview right now, I don't think I would really recommend uh, changing all of your workloads over to yeah. Timdall immediately. Right. Um, so that would be, I probably would probably shy away from that one as well. Microsoft blog just came out with some other really good stuff. Oh, we are very yeah, this positive. Is, this is very good. So uh, Miguel Myers, the lead developer, lead PM, I guess it would be for visuals and visualizations for Power BI, has just released a columns, bars, and ribbons uh, blog, and, and it's awesome. One, one, two things here. One, I appreciate Miguel's attention to detail and the fact that he's working on building better visuals. That's one thing I appreciate. The second thing is his blog posts are by far the most beautiful blog posts I've ever seen from anything at Microsoft. I mean, holy smokes, his thumbnail that he uses for the beginning part of it looks amazing. Uh, it When you go through the stacked bar chart and column enhancements, it's very clear. He's got little arrows. There's little red markers around everything. I mean, it just looks so professional. And he does a great job explaining exactly what's occurring and has little infographics and graphics that help illuminate. He's got little notes here for elements one, two, and three on the bars and showing the vet, like all this stuff. So very impressed with not only the work that he's producing, but being the visuals guy, I'm very pleased that he has very good visually appealing blogs. So outside of how his blog looked, what do you think about what was inside of it? I don't care about anything inside. It has to look <laughs> yeah. good. It's just like it's just like making a beautiful report, but oh, the data inside is yeah. junk. Um, again, these are the these are all the little features that everyone else I think wants to use inside Power BI, and they just don't have the opportunity to use them because you have to like build it into the visual. There's not there's not a lot of extra coding that occurs when you want to render or build these visuals. So I think this is going to add two things. I think this is doing. One, I'm pleased they're enhancing the visuals. The second thing is, now we have more options. So it gets, it just gets more opportunity to make bad stuff. <laughs> That's what I, I kind of see this as too. Oh, but I'm, I, go ahead. No, it's just the refinement on this is is way overdue, right? And, and I love the fact I agree. that Miguel and his team are, are sticking their teeth in here because um, it is an extremely valuable area for Microsoft to continue to invest in because this is where typically it loses out to other visualization engines and and I would particularly agree. in particularly that challenge becomes a lot higher in embedded scenarios where you're working within an application and UI UX engineers and people who want to make all of the things seamless and fit that application in the right way and these little things like controlling the spacing between bars overlap, which is cool. Like that nothing does that in Power BI. 
right? Mm. Like, nope. so overlapping bars in a bar chart, like all of those little things we can say like, oh yeah, they're just ticky ticky properties. But to have those as part of the options in the default visuals, it's a big deal. It's small, but it's a big deal. Well, I mean, it, this looks like the things that I've seen people try to hack and do. Mm-hmm. Um, just even the, the inline borders on the bar chart. I'm like, yeah, it's a small refinement, but we've talked about with this with visualization too. Like those little things can make all the difference. And then I'm sure we'll all get used to this, but and that's going to be the norm. But it's very refreshing to see. I do like his color palette too, but it's just very refreshing to see not just that we're making as it's not major changes to everything. It's like, it's no longer a bar chart, but just the little things and how much more professional that can look. But then the, honestly, with the, um, the column bar and the clustered enhancements, those are also things too, when that, to me, that conversation we had about visualization and in a sense, analytics, mm-hmm. like being able to sort each category within, um, within a visual, there's a lot more you can do within that from terms of like how what you're going to communicate one of the things that is added here and this is one that we've talked a lot about in the podcast we've talked a lot about the international business communication standard ibcs ibcs is uh, a language by which you can draw different visuals and if you are building bar charts or charts that have there's a language around that that helps you see data comparison over time and so Again, these are like standards. People can follow them and, and you can get a very consistent looking report. These new improvements I'll get Power BI closer to those IBCS standards and you can now build things closer to what these were looking like. So very pleased to see um, these things getting closer to standards that, again, it's a recognized known quantity. People across the world can read these charts and someone has said, I'm going to spend time and build an organization around standard communication through visuals i think this is great yeah. I, I wish there was more of this like hey here's some recommended visuals based on what you're saying we're already going to style them in an ibcs type way we're in an age of ai man ai should just be able to whip this stuff out for us and be like boom here's an ibcs report on and you pick out what kind of data field you think you need to compare like it should just show up anyways i, I we'll, we'll see how good the ai eventually gets Anyways, really good blog post. Any other final statements before we move on to our main topic? Don't think so. All right. With that, let's jump over to our implementation Tuesday. So let's go for our closing thoughts and our kind of final notes here around um, the article that Microsoft produced uh, all around BI strategy and implementation things here. Tommy, kick us off. We're on section number five. Give us maybe a bit of an overview of some talking points we're going to walk through today. Ah, yes, we have finally reached the end, almost three months now of us talking about implementation planning. People are like, so, oh, finally you're done. Jeez. <laughs> well, some some Ooh. of us are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's all day, baby. Um, honestly, we're finally near the tail end of rolling out, getting people on board, um, aligning our goals, making sure everyone else agrees, expectations, and how we're going to measure it. Now we're at that deploy validate and see success. So this is where in a sense, all the rubber is going to really meet the road. You know, there's going to be a lot of stresses, both good and bad anxiety. We're, we're what we're expecting to see. Um, we know that the, whether there's going to be uh, road bumps or not, but it's actually now we're going to actually see the first fruitions of all the work that we did. It's not just, we're doing report for you. 
everything to this point is now leading or uh, has led towards these are the specific goals I know that we are we're trying to accomplish. Look, look how close we're getting to this and what this is going to actually do. Yep. I like this. But I think in one of our prior conversations, we were talking a lot about, you know, the, the amount of. And again, I keep I keep going back to this. Microsoft is continually bringing very robust tools from IT and landing them in the hands of the business. And this is this is very this is great because now we're taking awesome things and we're able to then build them into okay, let's start deploying things. So as we read through the next section here, there's a couple key main bullet points. It talks about communicating the final release, conducting training for content customers, and I think this is an area that is way under undervalued in an organization. I feel like a lot of times we whip things out and then we send them out with not a lot of training. So I feel like training could be uh, another aspect. So if you need some more training, call Tommy. He's uh, not busy enough as it is. Oh, yeah. Tommy could use some my more training. Still there. I still got my voice. <laughs> he's still got a voice for now. So call Tommy. He'll come train you. And um, he's great at it. So, um, you know, addressing additional feedback and requests. Yeah, there's there's usually not enough of a feedback loop. I think this is another weakness for organizations. Um, planning to connect with the user community. And then finally, handover actions. I don't know what it is, but whatever happens in my daily work, it always seems to dovetail very closely with what we're talking about in the podcast and the articles that are here. So one thing I'll note here is I've had a lot of conversations around handover activities. So the, the, the conversation around when I give you a data model, when I give you a workspace, who's responsible for some of this stuff? And so when you start talking self-service, you're really talking about what is the agreed upon delegation or or handoff of responsibility? To me, I'm, I feel like I've been saying self-service, but I've not really been grasping the concept of self-service. Self-service is a handoff and responsibility. And I think handover actions and clearly identifying when you are in control of this workspace or this data set or this report, here's the implications of that. And by you absorbing the responsibility, you're also going to absorb these other actions and you are responsible for that. I think that's important to have that agreement. Anyways, I'll pause there. I, I really like this, this next section here. Thoughts? I like, I like that thought because, well, in dovetail, like, yes, you, you are handing over a solution or the training all, you know, if it's bringing new people into the Power BI ecosystem that they're going to start, you know, build their own reports, engage with sure. it, et cetera. Yeah. Like, if you ask access there, to a model there is, here. There is that aspect of things, but there's also a process part of that, which is mm -hmm. how do those, like what are the support models that those people can engage with? What, what are the, like, what are the, um, not just support, but what, what other teams are in the mix here and going to be managing different parts that they need identify to identify the players as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that. That's a really good point because you know, it's like you're, there are admins, you're, yep. they're going to monitor what's going on in the system. They may reach out and you may have to, you may have to fix, fix some, some things or yep. you may have to hand over your report because you're sharing it to everybody and it's taking down our system. <laughs> We're not gonna, like, you know, it, it's a it's a game of it's a game of playing fairly with everyone, right? I think you're right. right. Yeah, that's it's a really good point. A, you're part of an ecosystem. I had another Seth. Your comment brings up another really interesting question, or maybe an initial thought. 
we had an organization talking about well we have two premium subscriptions we have two p1s or two p's i don't know what they were but they are two p SKUs. yeah one for dev one for test and they were asking a question they're like well how sh- how should we break these up right you're, you're telling me that fabric is on a p SKU. what if i want to give a business unit a fabric environment do i give them the production one or do i give them the dev one and i said whoa, whoa time out i said if you're talking about just premium SKUs, you actually have more options in your disposal now than just premium. I said fabric allows you to bring the price of that unit FCs down much, much yeah. less, much, much lower, and you don't need a P SKU anymore. You potentially could get away with an F SKU. So how much do you trust your business unit? Do you do you think they're gonna do you think they would abuse the the production workload? If if the answer is yes, then maybe you don't give them a production one. Maybe you say we're gonna backcharge your business for the value that you're producing with Power BI. Here you go. Here's fabric. Go run with it. But by the way, you're going to be paying for your fabric skewed. If you want a bigger one, if you if you don't build optimized things, which they will until they get stuck, and then they'll start building better stuff, right? That's how it works. Build something not good, learn, build something better. Uh, but now you can control a little bit more of what they're doing, and you're not impacting production or certified reports in that central area. And I thought, oh, man, that's another really good example here of like how the planning of what you're trying to accomplish really makes sense here hmm. and honestly even with the subdomains or nested domains now you can get very granular with the cost too but that i that's it's great but i i want to be a little cautious when you keep we keep saying handoff right now because okay this is kind of the same there thing is a that, big red caution underneath the handoff so maybe that's maybe <laughs> well, I should read further in the article <laughs> yeah don't hand off right away that's what it's actually saying so this handing off is a preview feature yeah um, yes. <laughs> but i think like that role of they probably not a microsoft mvp at the organization who's done this again we're also i would 100 percent agree with that yeah that's, prob- that, that's probably 90 percent of the use cases here everyone's on the same journey right yes, uh, agree. going through this so handoff can mean a lot of different things but even if it was one of us or uh someone who's been doing this for a long time handoff is in stages especially with something like this i think that's a great i think that's a great observation what stages would, would a handoff go through then if you, if you think it comes in groups or yeah. stages well, obviously, it depends on whatever the solution or that initiative is, but let's just take something as the managed self-service. I think that's a great example. Okay. So you're going to own your content, like, and you're going to then begin to deploy. Well, the, all the questions that come up, and I think that you plan your stages based on where they think the concerns are. So what are, what are the top concerns that my stakeholders would have? How do I know they're going to build the right reports? Um, how do I know that they're going to, you know, not um, like the reports are not going to look awful or that they're not going to abuse how many, like all the content. It's like, okay, so let's put some guidelines around this first rollout of handing off. Um, it's not just, you have a bike, you have a car, you know, go crazy. It's, you know, there's a curfew. So what's, what are going to be our kind of our, our limitations from this first stage? Um, I know it's hard to go down to like, you can only share it at 25 people, but there's still the relevant rules of, hey, the workspace admin, okay, there's going to be a one or one or two. There's it's going to be very limited. That person has to meet some criteria in order to be an admin. You don't just get to be one. Would agree with that. Uh, so like yes. things were like there's on some a, training that's happening right. before they they get you know the keys to the castle. I agree with that. Right. 
on yeah. a monthly basis, they're doing it. There's a meetings call with the admins. You don't make, you don't make that call. You're out. I think because you really need to be, obviously we don't want to limit anything, but people will get their content. It doesn't mean that everything's going buck wild now. So I think the stages are based on the biggest concerns, you know, the business is going to have as it begins to roll out. I, I like your points. I don't think they belong here. <laughs> I think unlike, I unlike pushing, that. unlike pushing back on your, your other, uh, like a, a different podcast yeah, yeah. where you were like, Hey, can we push this back up further in the process? I think you pushed what you just talked about further up into the process. Like when we're, when we're figuring out what the solution looks like, we're gathering requirements, we're planning the deployment already. We're doing the POC already. Like all of what you're talking about to me is like the things that we're figuring out with the business group as we go along. Because this, what this should not be is, oh, hey, uh, we've been, there's a group of people that have been doing all this work and uh, surprise, we're, we're now giving it all to you. You like, now need to own it. This is an ongoing, this should be an ongoing conversation or update stream or just as important it is in the communication of the final handoff. I think it's very important that while you're going through this, you're keeping the teams that you're gonna engage here up to date here's what we're doing i'm i'm re receptive and taking feedback through the poc we're validating things on that like level and and ironing out a lot of this nuance before we even get to this point i think this is where you take all of that feedback and you're like hey do you remember the conversation we had about admins here Here's what we've created. Like this is the process. If you know to be an admin, here's here's where this documentation is. Here's how you would become one. Here's what you can share with other people. Here's our source of, you know, definition I like and documentation. That. It's or a lot whatever. of process that you're you're building process exactly. that you're communicating to the team. And I do exactly. it. I hundred percent agree with that. But Tommy, I want to go back to your comment. I I like your comment. I agree with it. Um. But I want to give maybe, let me, I want to uh, articulate an actual example here of how I potentially see this rolling out. And in my, there, I have a mental model of how this, I think this works, or at least what I think works in a, in a, in a situation like this, right? It, Power BI gets introduced. You identify some strategic data to go after. Like the, basically, this is where I'm hired and other people or other consultants are hired to show up and say, we have data. We have problems. Help us get started with Power BI. What do we What do we need to do? To your point, though, Tommy, like there's there's no strategy initially. There's no strategy around workspaces or reports or deployment or have anything that works. So usually, what happens is there is someone who comes in and starts planning out. Okay, what do we need to do in our organization to make the initial run of the Power BI report? You start with we're going to build a report and data set or data set or semantic model and report. We're going to publish it to an app and we're going to give, we're going to distribute all the content via apps, but we're going to not let you download it. You can't do anything. It's very locked down initially. So I find that that's the starting point for a lot of where organizations should begin is powerbi.com is a development only center. We're not sharing workspaces. We're not giving view access on workspaces. All we're doing is building apps and publishing those apps. We start there over time. And again, the plan potentially here is okay, team. There's going to be certain parts of the organization that says, okay, I understand what's in this report, but if I could get a little bit different, if I could expose a little bit more. And so you then plan the work or the training that says, okay, let's build 
them their own workspace. So now we start opening up another layer behind the app. So, okay, we're going to, here's our data model. We'll let you copy these reports and put them in a group workspace together. And you can start playing with them there. By the way, though, here comes more responsibility. So you basically give them little responsibility initially, get comfortable with going to PowerBI.com and consuming data, and then you start walking your way back. Okay, so now we get now you get a workspace. Now you're a member. Now you start building your own reports. Okay, let's go through that for a bit. And you kind of like, okay, does everyone does everyone happy with what we're getting? Are we getting real good data out? Okay, good. And then the next step beyond that is, okay, now we're going to start exposing some of our lake house tables. We're going to give you a little bit further upstream. You now can build your own models. Let's work through how that knowledge information works. So I see it as a progression from the report is the very ending portion. You start there and as people become capable, you kind of work your way upstream further into here's the tables that come out of gold or silver for that matter. Here's notebooks or you know the SQL endpoint but you only give them out after we've had time in these other parts of the system. So that it, it feels like we're giving more control, but only over time. Does that make sense? No, I, I, I love what you said because this goes right back into our tactical planning about the, the need about the revision side. Yeah. Because, yeah no, and I think Agreed. when you think about revision, it's not necessarily because something's wrong. It's because it's going to be so dynamic. You we didn't know what we could do before. Like, well, yeah, we're just you, learning about. Wow, this yeah. is new capability. I didn't know we could do this. It's, okay, so not, let's yeah. let's talk about that. Like, what 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 can we do to make it easier for you to do your right. work? Yeah, but because everyone's starting at zero in terms of the skill level. You have to identify too who's in a sense leveling up. Like, hey, this is a great team. They're already taking a hold of this. You know, we're going to focus on them on their data because we're noticing that they're really turning out reports. Yes. And that's, I think, where the, that revision goes because that is an unknown known at the very beginning. You don't know who's going to take to it, uh, whether it's the consumers or the, the business, where it's like, oh, look what we've done now. They're getting the skill. They're, um, they're already putting the solutions together. Okay, there's a focus there, right there. And I think that's where the revision comes to me because there's going to be teams that are going to be farther down the line or are lagging behind. I agree. And I think that's, I think, where you have to try to align your new strategy because it's going to be about how people actually take to it, whether or not they actually have the resources there. I, I think I think you're speaking to the data culture of those teams. And the reason why I'm saying data culture there, because some teams hire very analytical people because they need them. Finance, going to hire very analytical. Excel understands how to shape data people. They just will. They just have to. Yeah. Other teams may not hire people that are in the data realm super skilled. So to your point, Tommy, there's going to be certain teams that someone on that team is going to be like, oh, I love this data. This is great. This is just like Excel, but way better. And they're just going to really dive in and they're going to learn. And I think it's up to the community or the center of excellence, that team of people to identify across the organization where this is occurring and your point dovetails really well into the monitoring aspect of this next section. So monitoring what is happening, what reports are being used, and who's creating how much content, that is a key identifier for you, the organization, to figure out, great, what's happening in our environment? Let's figure out how to engage those people, because those are great candidates to educate more and give them more responsibility. It's a, it's a growth plan. 
there's there's one part there that I, I do want to um, hone in on because it to me out of everything that we're talking about that we've talked about the last three months, it's the one that gets the least amount of love. And don't worry, so this is actually it's relevant, but it's it really is the feedback side um, in terms of like how do you actually do that effectively? Yes, you can monitor the the data, you can monitor the usage, but I think our consistent following up whether it's like a weekly call, a champion's call, or getting other people's feedback in terms of how things are going is, is an art that I don't think people realize how difficult that can be. It's also time-consuming. Yeah. And if you have a lot of things on your but, plate and there's a lot of things to do, I mean, do we, do we really, I mean, and this is a question for the data culture, do we really prioritize going back, doing a retro? I mean, even, even in Scrum and Agile, I was doing huge development projects with companies and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do scrum or agile. And there's always this thing called the retro at the end of every sprint, you sit back and you know reflect on what you did. What could we have done better? Is there anything we can, how many companies actually do the retros? No, none of them do. None of them do this because they're all like, let's focus on the next thing. Like if something goes sorely wrong, they step back and say, Oh, that was bad. Let's, let's, let's not do that again. But every time we're doing a sprint, are we sitting back and doing retros? Probably not. We're just yes. burning on to the next project, right? <laughs> I mean, that's my experience with it. I am. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a question to me. Oh, uh, um, you're, you're no. doing retros after every single every single sprint? Yeah. That's awesome because your data culture has... <laughs> I would expect good things out I mean, of that side from you. That, that's my central team, right? Oh, like, okay. I, I de Like, technically... The the executors, right? Like if you're yeah. if you're in a sprint mode and you're in an execution mode, like absolutely, I think that that's that's a great way to put yourself into a mind mindset of, uh, especially for teams that deal with high volumes of mm -hmm. requests, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. retro, uh, are we seeing uh, the same request come in all the time? Can like we it's, fix that? It's a it's a way to identify core true. problems true. instead of just staying in the rat race. Oh, I like um, that. Anyway, like I do like I do like this call out because the I, I but I, I separate it to me. Feedback is one thing. Requests are another. Right. Somebody saying I like I like color blue. Your blue shade is off. Like I would like the, to, to update that. The reports would be so much better. Like, great. Thank you for your feedback. Trash. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I mean, you're not going to you're not going to yeah. take the time to develop or, or fix certain things. Right. Requests are. Hey, uh, the business is changing. Like we have this report, it's fantastic. But if we had this column, this would open up the doors for us to understand all all X Y Z things. Right? New and things, that, yeah. And that to me isn't the same kind of dynamic environment that you can create with conversation tools, hmm. right? Whether it's Teams, whether it's like Viva Engage, right, is another one, or Yammer, right? Like or, yep. or whatever your your form of creating a space for end users to ask questions and it's just a forum kind of like community right like hey i have a question maybe not all the technical stuff but you could sure. also throw that in there where there's just this back and forth of feedback what's going on you know are the solutions working etc cetera, etc cetera, mm -hmm. versus and and potentially some of those could be requests but i think the request channel is is hopefully more a more robust one where the, the requesters put some time and thought behind what what they would like 
to have and the reasons why, why there's value there. Mm. And it's going to go into a process of review for actual development. And yeah, to I me, like that. that's a separate thing because it's very easy for people to say, um, I would like a new report and I would like that report to answer all my, all my problems. And it's like, well, thank you for your, thank you for your feedback. You've obviously put no thought into that. So why would we spend development time, right? Or building it for you. Yeah. Go build you something that's impossible, right? Or hey, you haven't put the, the thought behind, like, correct. what are you trying to measure? What's correct. the main outcome of this? What actions mm-hmm. are you going to take after looking at this report? No, you're just telling yeah. me a bunch of things you want. It is, is that really and, adding and, us a lot of value? Yeah. I, and the I, reason I, the reason I'm saying that is because um, I, I think a rampant problem in any business is people who are like, I think we inadvertently do that to one another. And it, essentially, um, it, the, the, what, you're, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not going to spend enough of my time, but I want to take your time to go True. think about this problem because I haven't. So I'm going to use you as my easy button because you, you know this area. So I'm going to take from you because I, I don't want to do that work. And, and I think it, it's not just in request land, it's, it's all over the place. And I encourage, um, it, it's been a topic in my team lately where I don't want to see that in my team, let alone when we cross collaborate. And that comes up in another area where, um, hey, we're, we're triaging a bug or we're looking at something. If I spend 45 minutes doing the work, but I I go through the you know five different things that I know how to do and I'm still stuck. If I don't communicate effectively and give all of the work I've done along with the request for help, I'm doing the same thing to somebody else because they have to start over. Yeah, they have to start all over, and now I'm I'm not only consuming my time, I'm consuming their time to solve the same problem, and we've just doubled our estimate or doubled our time spent trying to you know, fix or build something. Yep. And that's just as bad as this other scenario. And so like I always, uh, and I, I don't, I don't think we talked about this, but I, I saw a, a YouTube short not long ago where a CEO was talking about this request where uh, a, you know, he had a sales executive then uh, in HR and they had to hire 30 people. And he called and he said, Hey, I got this huge problem. We got to hire all these people in 30 days. And the CEO was like, okay, um, what are the what is what is you've outlined what is the specific like what is the specific request what are three things that you did to try to solve it and what what is it specifically you need me to do for you and the guy was like i don't know yet i'll get back to you and then the next morning he was like i solved it and and i've like that is like there's a lot of different ways in which you can manage things but i've really glommed onto this one i'm like hey you have a problem understood what are the three things you tried to do to solve it and what are you what are you specifically asking me for? And when you go yeah. through this, ultimately, if you you guys know this too, mm-hmm. you have to explain in detail like what are the things you're trying oh. to do and how many times when you're explaining something do you solve it in your head? Oh, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No matter how long you've spent on it, yep. it as when you're articulating it to somebody, all it, like so often you're like, oh, never mind. That's I know what, how to solve yeah. this. Yes, and exactly that's right. why. That's why you go through this. So yes. I, I would encourage everybody in whatever phases just to make sure that 
if you are requesting for things, if you're providing feedback, like give the details so that you're picking up where you left off or give them from the get-go. If you didn't invest in any time in making a request, then don't expect anything. But if you did, then let's pick off from where you you know started and then we accelerate instead of repeating the same cycles over and over in business. I like that. I think that's really good. Any other so thoughts, Tommy, for your with stuff? The feedback. <laughs> yeah. I, um, no, I, I'm actually very surprised the way you took that because that's completely different when I was thinking about feedback when it came to the request. Mm. I was thinking more of like how the people who, um, who are, are getting the request now, who I don't have to take the request anymore, uh, the new people in Power BI building, how am I walking them through this journey now on a weekly or monthly basis and extracting their experience in Power BI and their walks of life? Are they getting the skill? Are they getting comfortable with DAX? So to me, that's a whole other type because some of them may get request something from you like, we need help with this model, but I think that's more, it's a, a very different stream because we have to be more proactive with them on how's everything doing? How are your models kind of thing? Like, is everything working out for you? Um, what do you guys need basically and offering that support? Because we, that's a very different relationship than when someone's requesting for me to do a report or a request compared to now I'm kind of like the guiding hand or the, the people who are rolling out whatever the um, solution is, is more of a guiding hand to whoever's taking it on. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree. But at the same time, like having feedback channels, meaning like the open conduits of chat, to me, help facilitate that much more than generalized questions. Because if I'm an owner oh, yeah. and I have, I have to get feedback mm -hmm. from a group, me asking them five survey questions, which is kind of like what you were repeating to me, like isn't it is going to get this? Hey, how are you guys doing? Everybody's going to say good. Fine. Um, do you guys have any problems? In an, in and it's to a group. No, we're fine. Well, um, there's that one guy who's guys, like, hey, I got this major problem. Can you solve all my things? Every every time. Do you guys need more training? Oh yeah. What happens in the training? You're talking the whole time. Like the engagement level just isn't there. Right. So you're not going to get down to like the, the keys of what you need to know. And that's where to me, like the free form chats of, hey, this this channel's open to you guys. Right. All it takes is one person going, hey, Tommy, um, can can you run another session on DAX for us? And then other people going, yeah, oh, I'd love that. Yep, 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 yep. Is different to me than these generalized kind of like questions that you're throwing. I Because I've never gotten good feedback through those. And but you're I, also you're also yeah. talking, Seth. You're talking about like more of like the engaged community of practice, which I think is an understated thing in a lot of organizations. And I don't think a lot of organizations emphasize or try to centralize that conversation and and chat communication threads around a community. Like yeah, but at the same time, at the same time, like why not open that door right away to these smaller groups, right? If this, if you're because it also opens the door into the next part of the conversation where we we talk about. What are the different levels of, you know, where an organization is at and how they can utilize all of this strategy, you know, all of these planning things. And I think that's where um, it, it, it does interject, because if I'm just going to if I'm going to do this on a company level, like it's a it's a much smaller or bigger deal than I'm just very small. I'm going to incrementally do that. 
but your the structures i think of some of these things are the same way it's just they're implemented differently right mm -hmm. like that feedback channel like can be very limited we only our our scope is 10 users and these are the only people that we're engaging right now because yep. we don't have the capacity to take it up Correct. higher yes so i have a channel but 90% of the organization doesn't have access to it because we can't handle the volume. Yes. Or they don't know because we haven't done this thing for them or whatever, whatever. Yeah, I like that. Again, it's a metered response to things. Yeah, and that's why that I think that's why this for us is an it's an art. Like there's an actual strategy that needs to go instead of, yeah, those random calls going, how's everyone doing? Okay, good. And if we don't have benchmarks that we're looking for um, for these teams as they go on, Mike, going back to we're going to give people a workspace. Okay. So what's our expectations of them in three weeks? What's our expectations of the teams in six weeks? And rather than just going, where do you have problems? Yeah, we are not going to see success. So whatever we're rolling out, those calls and support is not just how's everybody doing? How can we help? It's right. making sure that we're getting to the next level, basically like as simple as it sounds kind of thing. It's like, is everyone on level three now where, uh, their admin knows how to publish the content on their own. They created their app audiences. We should be there in six weeks. Everyone should be at least comfortable doing that. So at least there's in a sense, these mini milestones that we're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. We're not running it obviously because that's the teams now or the, the people who are um, taking those on, but it's almost like a very data level uh, project manager. I mean, this, so I like what you say there about for the PM, because I think there's, you know, if I think about what happens in Power BI, I think there are multiple roles that are occurring here, right? And I think delineating these different roles inside what happens inside your, your organization is very helpful. Now, granted, these are roles, these are not people. So this could all be handled by one central person if you're a small organization, but this also expands to multiple people if you have a larger organization. And I like what you said there, Tommy, about a PM yeah. or program manager. Because there is a lot of like communication across getting the right teams together. To your point, Seth, you're going like when there's requests coming from the business, someone's got to filter those down. Someone's got to kind of align. Okay, what are our main goals for our our company? What are our objectives we're going to get to? And someone's going to spend some time figuring out. Okay, these requests coming in, do they align to our goals? Or is that what we're going to try to do? So I think there's a report consumer person, someone who's just purely give me reports, I'll consume them. I think there's a report builder, someone who's focusing on building the reports and does a little bit of light modeling, but not like an expert. I think there's a data modeler and I'll even now with Fabric, I'll put data modeler slash data engineer. That's kind of like the, the, the next level I see of skills. And then there's an admin who works, who worries about, is it dev test prod? Is it dev prod? How do I deploy things? Like they're focusing more on the administration sides of the tenant settings, the publishing of content. And I do think there is that release manager is part of uh, this ecosystem. And that is the release manager is someone who's focusing on um, these kind of things. They're, they're acting like a PM to help move things forward. And I think, I think that's a skill that is required here uh, to help organizations kind of keep balance of make sure we're not always in the weeds, but we're also innovating and building new things that are helpful. Yeah. I think I think this is a good dovetail, I think, into the 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 aspect of can can organizations with no data, no power BI, no like smaller well, like I almost think about this in small, medium, or large. Okay. Because I think 
throughout this, there may have been a lot of like listeners that checked out and be like, yep, this is not me. I, I am this person, right? Or it's me and this other person and that's all. And what I would, what I would say is in the small scenario, if you don't have this working group, I think it still points out that these are the roles that need to be played by people when you go into mm-hmm. the, the the full strategy tactical you know solution that if you don't have all the people you're going to have to play some of these roles as you try to roll something out there's still a lot of value here though right in in structural pieces of just one going through the thought process having objectives, having the key results, having like, even if these are not standardized in your organization, what it does is it gives you the story of what you're accomplishing for the business, right? So as you go through these things and take pieces of starting to build the architecture of what this looks like in the organization, it solidifies in your head what direction you're trying to go, but also is the foundation for, hey, maybe the organization is going to spool up a lot of efforts around this, or the organization is getting larger and there's more opportunities to do that. And you would be the person that would can speak to all this, right? Yes. The other spectrum is the really large organization where they're full committed, right? They're saying, yep, this this is now a very large strategic initiative for us. We're we're gangbusters. And you can probably almost read this documentation verbatim (laughs) to go be successful in a wide um, organizational way. I would say start small though, start with a business unit and learn and iterate and grow as fast as you can because there's gonna be tight timelines around it. There's gonna be objectives that you know have to fit in certain timelines and it, there's still gonna be a capacity thing of like making sure you have all the right people. It's probably more process oriented and getting everybody onto the, the, same, um, the same like scope to accelerate quickly. Um, and then you have the middle ground where I is probably the most challenging because I think it's, it's rare that organizations are going to be like hundred percent. We're all in, here's all this, here's all these people and here's all this thing. And yes, we know we're going to realize gains, but we really don't, we can't quantify it hundred percent. We know that like you're saying, there's going to be efficiencies. We hear that out there, that data is really valuable but you can't tell us that it's going to you know increase revenue you can't tell us specifically how it's going to benefit the organization because you can't have those conversations without all those people yes you can't exactly. make the commitments to the business and have all those conversations unless you have people mm-hmm. right so it's kind of the cat and mouse game of uh knowing that even when you know and understand and can articulate a strategy it still doesn't always come into fruition that you're going to get the capacity to do it. So the balance is trying to figure out, I think much more on the small level where you can make the impact, even though you may be able to draw and correlate it back to a higher level objective because your organization is in some flux of, you know, data literacy and data culture building. So it's been a really like either way, I've loved a, a lot of the the details that have come out of here, and I think it's a fantastic structured, um, you know, documentation. But that's that's how I see like kind of the the three levels of different ways in in which to you know implement 
What do you use? What are you guys' thoughts? I mean, go ahead, Tommy. You're going to say something. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I, you realize how many more every single time with this, even though how many times that we've talked about it, how many times I've done it. Um, I'll always go back to like, there are so many hats that we have to wear and be good at um, in this space. And I don't know how many other technologies have to deal with how many front facing and back facing uh, uh, of things we have to play. I'm a journalist. I'm a project manager. You know, obviously I'm the, um, I'm the data guy. I'm a trainer. Um, I'm a teacher, you know, like all these different things that we all have to be good at because it's a weird space where you have to know the technology for it to work. It's not, you know, it's not just like learn how to uh, work on an app, but there's that data culture side. And so we like that unicorn aspect here is so important because how can you communicate half the things you said, Seth, if you don't know those, the, um, like what could potentially be an implicate, uh, uh, a problem, how do you know all the different parts of the infrastructure? And then more again, how the business is actually, they don't have to worry about all the technical side. They just want to see the results. So there's all these things we're juggling and you need to get it right. It's usually just one person too. I'm, uh, Tommy, you take a very strong approach on, you must know everything before you do anything. And I no, feel like no, that's, no, no. I feel like that's what you, when you say things, that's how it comes off to me. Okay. And I disagree with that approach. And you're probably not saying that, I'm but not that's the way, yet. but that's the way you're communicating it to me. And that's how I'm reading what you're, what I'm hearing, what you're saying. But I feel like the, what works in organizations, and especially when I when you're talking about newer organizations, there's going to be some mess ups. There's going to be some rework. There's going to be we didn't know that it existed. So unless you're going to an expert or someone who you know, unless your company is willing to say we're we're going yeah. to go pay a third party expert to come in and tell us everything we should know or or go through oh, yeah. specific training to do this, a lot of organizations do not do that, and it starts with one individual or a couple individuals who find this free Power BI tool, start playing with it get access to powerbee.com and start growing things. And that knowledge or that, that experience continues to develop inside the company. And so I find that this, I mean, this pattern of democratizing very advanced tools, I, I, I see the same thing in like power apps, right? You can do a lot with power apps. You're big, you're building web apps basically, but do the users of power apps understand all the, intricacies of underneath the hood what's going on in power apps and do they build the most efficient thing day one probably not so i feel like there's a there's a progression that's happening here there's a starting point every organization just needs to start looking at this documentation i feel very overwhelmed just in just personally like there's a lot mm -hmm. to go through here and if i want to do everything i'll be spending so much time planning and getting things going i'm more of a like let's I want to do a little bit of action and then come back and review. I want to do a little bit of action. I want to come back and review. So I feel like a lot of this stuff is very valuable. And again, everything that I've worked on as an expert, a lot of this stuff applies. I would recommend a lot of companies. You should, if nothing else, you should at least take a day and read through it all. Yeah. Just that at bare minimum. Start yeah. there. And then you pluck out what you think in this documentation is most valuable for your organization. And you yeah. start with, okay, well, these are areas we're weak at. Do we think this is, needs a lot of value for us to move forward? Can we deliver business value now? You probably 
pick and choose a couple things here and start just going a direction. And eventually you'll run into a problem. You'll figure there's an issue. You'll have to upgrade your premium. You're going to have to spend, there's going to be some challenges, but this is what happens when Microsoft democratizes data. This is what happens when Microsoft democratizes the reporting side. Like you're It's now everyone can use it. That's what they want. We now have to figure out as a company and our culture how we're going to manage that, and how we're going to move forward. Yeah, hopefully there's a value in the experience, the experience that we have had, right? I, I, I agree. I don't, and it, well, I don't know where I agree on the, the uh, who's saying what, but the, the fact is like most people don't have the experience across the boards. Um, I think business intelligence is one of those areas that the more engaged you become in the business, and the technical and build your technical skill sets, the more valuable you become to the organization because you can have like, it surprises me. And the greatest compliment I get is when business folks or new people that have never met me before um, say, man, you're, you, you're so tied into the business side of things. It's, it's, um, it's weird, right? It, it's weird as a tech you should as be. A person should be you and should, are dude, are two yeah. different things so i agree okay people are going to fall on a spectrum typically have more experience in one area or the other and i'm saying like this is a really unique area to be in because it allows you to explore and grow in both of those areas at the same time mm -hmm. i think I, I love your example in in the recommendations and my, my final kind of recap of in, ingesting all this yeah I agree. Get the holistic view of things. Read through all of the BI strategy. Strategic planning, tactical solution. It's going to be a lot of information. What I would recommend is take out the big chunks that resonate with you and then figure out which one of those chunks are things you could, are going to make the biggest impact on your area or your business, right? Mm -hmm. And if it is an incremental thing, which a lot of this is going to be for organizations, it's going to be a rarity where somebody's like, you know, I saw the Microsoft documentation. Here's 10 people go solve that problem in the organization. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, it'd be fantastic if it is because like, there's a lot of value here, but pick those things. It, like ultimately it just gives you the roadmap for how to incrementally add value to the business. Yeah. So, some of the big takeaways I've had from uh, the strategy part, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, the working team could, should and could be people depending on how large the scope of the project is. It could also just be the roles. These are, here are the roles you're going to have to play if you're yep. going to go on this journey of implementing data and reporting with Power BI in your organization. Mm -hmm. Strategy does not mean investment, right? Like ultimately, you got to sell people. And yep. maybe the idea is great, but maybe your organization just isn't there. Where can you continue to do stuff and where can you support to enhance things? And I think that's where um, the focus should be in there. Tactical goals. One of the one of the best parts about this conversation that I'm super excited about is our conversation enhanced this documentation for however many other people read it, right? There's this the mm -hmm. confusion we had, if you want to go listen about it again, like around goals and objectives was clarified was updated in documentation now it's all on okr framework which i think just will resonate much bigger and much wider with people and make a ton more sense so i was super stoked with all of the conversation around there um and then in the solutioning communication right this is the execution phase where we're you know 
we're closed in, we've got things going, we're rolling it out to people, we're making the impacts, and now it's time to iterate. Um, but communication and those feedback loops are, are the biggest mm -hmm. and most important aspects of that. And that's my take. I like those observations. Tommy, any final thoughts on this whole article and what's coming on here, or like everything we've been doing here? Yeah, you know, there there are another 15 more articles we can go through in the implementation. So if you yeah, wanna... I mean, I, as much as I love these, I want to talk about other things and just <laughs> this. Right, I mean, I, I do right. enjoy it, but I uh, probably no, not. No, honestly, like, I, I, without being too redundant with everything we've said, listen, I am trust about making mistakes or breaking things. There are going to be a lot of that because even if you've done this 100 times, the people are always going to be different we, how they are experiencing that or how they're perceiving if they understand it or not. And there's just going into all of this with the idea that we're going to have to be flexible. There's going to be things that are going to work out really well, and there's going to be some hindrances, but I think the idea of sticking through with this on what are going to be our milestones that to me is also, it's a great framework, just building, trust in a process too because if there's one thing that our industry has not had is a consistent and a unified way of how we do things um unless it's a semantic model but then no one cares about that from a business point of view but how do we actually roll out uh data initiatives and make i think this is obviously professional but i think it's something structured in a way that i think everyone can get behind yeah, I think my final thought on this one is this works, honestly, like doing these kind of things in this article. I've seen it working in organizations. I can attest to these are great principles to live by. Uh, be careful. You may be overwhelmed. That's OK. Uh, don't feel like you have to do all of it day one. Uh, this is a progression, right? Uh, you, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, your data culture won't change in a day. So it's it's going to take some time. You're going to have to be patient. And I think as long as you have people that are willing to uh, put the work in, align on a key direction, and everyone marches together, I think in general, you'll be able to improve the data culture, the reporting, and the actions that come out of your reporting stuff. So I, I do think this is, this is a, you know, whether you're picking Power BI, any other reporting tool, all of this stuff applies. It doesn't matter what reporting tool you're technically talking about here. All of these, many of the BI tools that you're looking at today are trying to go more towards this self-service method. And uh, these are great ways or great uh, patterns by which you can then say developing good, better techniques and data culture in your company. So really like the article. I think I learned a lot from it. I also love talking with you guys about the, the, the patterns that you're finding and what works well in your organizations, what you're seeing. Because I think this, this is why... I enjoy the community here. I like learning from other people. I, I just be a lifelong learner. Anyways, with that, thank you all so much for listening to our podcast. Uh, we've, we've burned through a perfectly good hour with you. Our only request is if you stuck with us this whole time and you're now here at the end, we really appreciate you sharing this with somebody else. Let them know or share on social media. Let a coworker know that you enjoy the podcast. We'd love to get the word out there a bit more. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere you get a podcast, Apple, Spotify. Uh, make sure to leave a rating and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. Do you have a question, idea, or topic that you want us to talk about in a future episode? Maybe you want us to run it back. Uh, implementation Tuesdays in the summer. We'll do it. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to veto that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Um, and then finally, join us live every Tuesday and Thursday, 7.30 a.m. Central. I think I said everything. Yeah, cool. All right. With that, thank you all very much. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.